0: So what happens to the bliss, the euphoric states of consciousness, this deep sense of knowing and being when we leave the meditation cushion or leave retreat or end our morning yoga practice or whatever the case may be? Where does it all go as we carry on with day-to-day life and responsibilities? How come we're unable to transfer this wisdom and this level of resourcefulness into our everyday life? Uh, and these were questions I was asking myself a couple of decades ago already. And that's one of the motivations behind why this transpersonal coaching approach came into existence. Because I felt compelled to find ways to transfer these wonderful states of consciousness and that extent of resourcefulness, that quality of being into everyday life.
1: What's the difference between an ego-oriented traditional coaching model and transpersonal coaching? Why is it so effective at combining the seeming ineffability of spiritual practice with the practicality of daily life? And why do I believe this form of coaching unlocks the foundations of what constitutes a flourishing human? and for that matter, a flourishing planet. I invited my teacher and mentor, Jyvon Dangeli, to share his decades of experience pioneering transpersonal coaching to make the case for this incredible transformational process. I began by asking him how he first came into the world of coaching.
0: Well, looking back now, I'd have to say this has been a calling because the first memory that came to mind when you asked that question was myself waking up from a dream, and in this dream, I was presented with this idea, almost like a vision, you could say. Um, And the idea was along the lines of well-being coaching. But this goes back several decades, I must say, and it precedes my conscious awareness of the coaching profession. I did not yet know that coaching existed. And in fact, this was the 90s. Coaching didn't really exist as a discipline unto itself outside of the sporting arena. Um, So life coaching was emerging in the 90s, and this dreamlike vision compelled me to explore that. And as I became aware of the life coaching practices and courses that were just emerging at the time, um, it felt as if this was what I was here to do. So I began to look further and explore what courses were available and um, think about the future in a completely different way than the way I was thinking about it at the time.
1: And so that led you into the type of coaching that was prevalent at the time but you've said already that you were already approaching coaching from a a more holistic framework where where did that holistic integrative approach come from i know that you're you've been interested in martial arts for example yeah
0: yes yeah, so martial arts specifically judo was a big part of my life from age five already. And as a teenager, I took interest in holistic practices, um, more sort of metaphysical energy healing methods. And I'd gone to various courses, um, these short workshops, and I'd, I'd also done some traveling to learn from teachers abroad. I was living in South Africa at the time where I was born and raised and spent most of my life up until age 20. So locally and abroad I was engaging in these workshops and retreats. And all of this precedes this interest in coaching. So this more metaphysical, holistic orientation toward healing had been with me from the teens onward. And it was then in my twenties that I had this dream-like vision and pursued coach training. And What was locally available that sort of fed into that was NLP training. So I began my training in neuro-linguistic programming, and I was fortunate to find, well, the only trainer in South Africa at the time who took quite a holistic orientation. And through training there, I was led to the trainers of my trainer in the USA, and in the 90s, John Overdurf and Julie Silverthorne co-developed humanistic neurolinguistic psychology. Being the trainers of my NLP trainer, I was led to them. I went over to the States on a couple of occasions to train directly with them and became certified as an HNLP trainer and coach and hypnotherapist by them. I then returned to South Africa and began giving those trainings at first in conjunction or in partnership with my trainer. And then as this more holistic and integrative direction became even more compelling and relevant to me, I appeared away from the partnership with my former colleague who was a bit more oriented in business and, you know, the, What NLP became popular for, which is very persuasive language skills to convince people just about anything, that didn't interest me. I was interested in NLP in coaching. And so slowly but surely, my own style and orientation developed. I was undergoing supervision from John Overdurff. And this progressively led toward the development of what became known as the authentic self empowerment approach, and that began to emerge in 2004. And, and by 2007, I developed an ASE authentic self empowerment training, and that ASE brand methodology and general approach lent itself really well to coaching. And so, although ASE was never Exclusively for coaching. It was for personal and spiritual growth. It had applications that were really helpful in a therapeutic setting, dealing with the past, parts of the psyche, the shadow, and so forth. But a major part of ASE remains today very well suited to coaching. So, from this ASE method and philosophy, the transpersonal coaching approach and its own model and method emerged. And today, that transpersonal coaching aspect of ASC has probably become the most popular part of it. And as you will know, having done our transpersonal coaching course, this particular course has become quite popular and we deliver it online these days as well as in person. And it's what lights me up. It's, It's how I feel I'm able to make a contribution to the world and it seems more applicable today than ever before when we look at the types of crises we're facing globally because we get to work with individuals and groups in person and online. And we're working at the intrinsic levels of where things go wrong in ourselves, between us, in our relationships, and so on. And I'd be happy to speak in greater depth and detail with regard to any of that. But if I went there now, it would probably slide down into a, a lot of content and detail. I don't know if your listeners are as interested as I am in all of those details you let me know.
1: Well, I think it would be good to, you know, what does go wrong? What are the, you know, what are the underlying patterns that you see time and time again in terms of relationship to self and then relationship to others in the world? Is there a, Mm. is there something that acts as a kind of core pattern that you recognize?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that question. It's really good. So you've reminded me of one particular pattern that I've noticed shows up consistently when clients present issues. These are one-to-one coaching clients as well as groups and teams. And the one thing I've noticed over the years is that when the presenting issue is brought to coaching, the client's attention, whether an individual or group, is narrowly fixated on the problem. This fixation of attention on what is wrong, what's not working, seems to perpetuate the problem, because in tunnel awareness, we cannot think differently, we cannot think outside of the box, we're cut off from our own creativity, from our own sources of intelligence beyond the regular intellect. So we're, we're cut off from our emotional intelligence, social intelligence, and spiritual intelligences. And when we're cut off through being internal awareness, we're limited in our scope of behavioral responses in the context of that issue. So I have found that if clients keep awareness on their issue, but then learn the simple skill, which I refer to as open awareness, they learn to literally open their frame of reference, broaden their perspective, expand their sense of self, and in so doing, feel more connected within themselves, feel more connected to the others in the problem context, and also feel more connected to nature and to the broader sphere in which we're all connected. So that sense of deep interconnection promotes a new range of perspectives and responses to the issue that these clients had never been able to think of while they were stuck in tunnel awareness. So at the very heart of ASE and our transpersonal coaching model is this applied open awareness, enabling people to not only see that bigger picture, but to cultivate that deeper sense of interconnection. And from there, new, more resourceful responses the problem context
1: i think that's really interesting in terms of you know the language you use there that a client may have been unable to think of prior to experiencing this expanded sense of self through open awareness and i think for me that's the kind of crux of the problem that tunnel awareness is predominantly a conceptual thinking mode an open awareness is predominantly a being mode yeah and from being you know wider thinking can happen wider doing can happen more creative emergence can occur but this fixation with this narrow bandwidth which is nearly always uh at the cognitive conceptual cognitive behavioral level is this this trap everyone seems to find themselves in yes yes and then we think it's normal because everybody around us is operating
0: in that way and of course as we as a society become even more habituated into using online media specifically smart phones and all these little gadgets that keep attention fixated We're entraining our consciousness into this narrow bandwidth, as you say. And then we go around as digital zombies, cut off from ourselves, cut off from each other, cut off from nature. And, of course, in that sense of separation, being cut off, we're destructive to ourselves, to each other, and to nature. And that's at the heart of all the problems that we face in the world, all the wars our destruction to the environment. Um, our own personal issues in which we do not care for ourselves in optimal ways, it's because of that narrow bandwidth. And as, as we become ever more reliant on digital devices to do the thinking for us, so too do we perpetuate that problem. And so as I look to the future and envision this kind of disastrous outcome, which I pray will never happen, it's a society full of digital zombies being programmed by the powers that be and through whatever we're engaging with online, social media, all the various communication platforms and gaming it would be so easy for any kind of artificial intelligence or anybody, anything else, to gain control over the collective consciousness of society. So without painting any more of a doom and gloom image around all of that, I do see the solution to the problem being breaking free from that. And although I'm not suggesting we need to put all our gadgets down, what I would say is important now more than ever before, is that we compensate for the amount of screen time that we're engaging in and step away from our screens and learn the skills to reopen the aperture of awareness. And part of our transpersonal coaching approach is a skill set, applied open awareness as a skill set to engage in simple movement and breath practices that enable people to reconnect to that broader spectrum of self and to go into nature to be in nature but when nature's not immediately available how to use imagery and metaphors of nature in conjunction with these open awareness skills to cultivate that sense of deeper connection to self to others and to cosmos um, so I, I see that as not only a a nice thing to do at meditation retreats or in our own private practice but as an essential if we as a society are going to flourish in the
1: future yeah i agree completely it seems to me that it's the foundation on which any change has any chance of occurring you know i've been involved in in the ecological movement for 15 years or so through permaculture. And um, permaculture is capable of great things and lots of um, change has occurred through the practice of permaculture and permaculture design in the world. But also what I've recognized more and more acutely, and particularly over the last kind of five-ish years, is... The amount of stuff that people bring to permaculture, you know, you bring your state of consciousness to permaculture. So if you're still stuck in that tunnel awareness, in a fixated narrow bandwidth, and you're still self-identified as as only the thinker, um, and you don't have a practice or an experience really of your deeper self, your larger expanded self, your connected self. Then you you stuck in the same tape loop as everyone else. Really, we're just and something like permaculture or any kind of ecological movement or or activism just descends into this divisive, you know, tribal warfare, and so. I've come to see, you know, ecological or social activism as essentially being very surface level without this work underpinning it, without this process of transpersonal awareness, of um, really deeply reconnecting with self, with a capital S. And... So I, I agree with you in that sense. I mean, do you, have you had experience of of that yourself in terms of, you know, I, I know you're particularly interested in environmental things as well, and you've done some work with permaculture projects in the past. I, I'd yeah. be interested to hear your your take on that.
0: Yeah, well, I absolutely agree with you on that front. If, if individuals and groups are not engaging in a practice that's, promotes and cultivates that deeper sense of of being an interconnected being and a vital part of this whole recognizing that everything we do affects the whole if if you don't have an embodied knowing of that fact then i think any well-meaning measure such as environmental activism, coming from a more superficial level of, well, we should do this because if we don't, there are these consequences, and it's all just up here. It's heady. So these cerebral cognitive ideas and the collective consensus that we might share, there's, there's a strong energy there, and it might drive constructive behavior, but I think it will fall short in terms of sustainability, because the motivation isn't coming from a deeper down source. And if we, as a group, could sit and tap into that deeper source together, we'd be able to co-create another quality of motivation that would drive more nuanced behaviors that I believe will therefore be more sustainable because we know at a deeper level why we're doing what we're doing, which in turn keeps us inspired and energized to keep doing that, as opposed to, yeah, I was once part of this green group and and we did something good, but it fell apart because of all the disagreements and the hierarchies and protocols and so forth. And invariably and very sadly, such groups do frequently fall apart at government level and at community level too and within organizations. Because, well, it's like sustainable has become a buzzword. Green is a trend and everybody wants to be part of that just because it's sort of the thing you do these days, but not because of why we should really be doing it. It's an imperative for us to take action. I want to say immediate action if we think about the environment and and the issues that we're facing today. So we can't just all go, we need to take action and and jump in and do something. We need to tune into why, the big why we need to take action and allow ourselves to be inspired and motivated by that. And that big why comes about through stillness, through interbeing through engaging in practices, preferably in nature or with nature as a source of inspiration and allow something to emerge through us and with nature as a stakeholder and participant in the process, then we're going to tap into that deeper level of motivation that I'm trying to refer to here. And I think then we're going to find truly sustainable ways forward.
1: Well, that sounds wonderful. And I'll play devil's advocate for a minute there and say, sounds great, but what are the practical steps to that? And I think that's maybe where the notion of coaching comes in, because there's something about coaching as opposed to, say, meditation teaching that has a pragmatism Built into it somewhere, or at least the connotations of pragmatic progress or a constructive path forward. So I'd be interested to to hear. You know what's transpersonal coaching as opposed to traditional coaching, and and how is that uh, an effective, pragmatic, practical methodology towards this kind of change that we both. Really hope will occur.
0: Yeah, another great question. Thanks, Dan. So, the transpersonal coaching approach would be to enable these clients, individuals, or groups to have their own direct experience of something that feels meaningful and purposeful to them individually or collectively. And our facilitation methods enable these clients to connect with their sources of energy and vitality, and at the same time to establish that overview perspective in which they gain an impression of themselves in this lifetime interacting with all the other individuals, groups, and societies around the world. So that kind of impression an astronaut might have as they gaze upon this stunning planet that is home to us all and have an epiphany of, oh my, I've got to look after this precious fragile planet. Whatever I do affects everything else. So instead of that remaining just an intellectual idea, it's a deep insight. So the transpersonal coaching approach is to promote these deep insights that then enable clients to establish their purpose, their purpose in a specific context, or perhaps even, if necessary, their purpose for this lifetime. And that could be one or more purposes. And once clients are connected to that and they realize what it is, the continued coaching process would then enable those clients to take ownership of that purpose to understand why it's meaningful to them, how they can take action on that, how they can embody it fully and integrate it into the suitable context of their life, taking actionable steps, purpose-driven actionable steps. So that's very pragmatic. Our coaching processes always end with deliberate, conscious, ecological actions which the client commits to, but they commit to it very naturally, because there's a calling within them that emerges that lets them know, I have to do this because it's what I'm here to do. And that doesn't mean they stop everything else that we're doing before. It just becomes a deeper intrinsic motivation that inspires them going forward.
1: Yeah. And it's that shift from the willpower of I ought to or we ought to to just willingness because it's. It's your calling, like you say. There's, there's just a a natural rhythm and a flow to that that's guiding you forwards into action without any um, effort, or with minimum. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's when our own personal will becomes infused with and inspired by the will of the universe. You could say, call it what you want, that greater will with a capital W that seems to be depending on our metaphysical position, the will of nature, the will that makes nature grow and continue growing despite what we do to her. Um, And I think nature is one of our best, if not our very best example of of this greater will um, because what it will invariably aim to do and eventually succeed at unless we annihilate it completely which is a terrible thought, in any case, it will continue to grow. And if we, if we identify ourselves closely as aspects of nature, just the same way trees and everything else that grows is an aspect of nature, then we can take inspiration from that, and we can utilize that inspiration and wisdom in all areas of life.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I th- I think that's crucial as well, that you know, recognizing oneself as nature rather than um establishing a benign relationship with nature. You know, there's a mm. there's a phrase um you know, work with nature, not against is a is a kind of maxim in permaculture, but actually that's been transmuted by um a Californian permaculture teacher called Penny Livingston Stark, who's who has changed that phraseology to say we are nature working yes work as nature yeah Yeah. and that that can be and always is an intellectual understanding but like you say it's the felt experience of that it's that deep embodied insight where we start to have a daily felt sense that we are nature there is no intrinsic difference there and that then allows behavior change to be a natural process rather than a a forced process because why would you act against your own best interests because you are the same as the whole of life
0: yeah absolutely and it's tunnel awareness that prohibits that awareness and that inclination and that's why I was going on about the issue of tunnel awareness and how digital media instills tunnel awareness in our consciousness and why we need to take measures to counteract that today more than ever before returning to our true nature and uh, I, I think this is absolutely crucial and and needs to be implemented at all levels in, in how we live our lives and in how we run our businesses and govern our countries. So uh, that's how important it feels to me anyway.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And me. So let's, I'm interested just to draw out some of the differences again and some of the similarities between what we might call a traditional coaching model. So maybe a a goal-oriented coaching model and a transpersonal coaching model um and give you a little bit of license to be to critique shall we say in a friendly manner um uh some traditional coaching models and and to just ex- explain to me and to listeners um some of the added benefits of this transpersonal model and basically you know we've we touched on that already but Maybe one of the aspects is this deeper kind of felt sense experience that doesn't get touched upon in a traditional coaching mm-hmm. model. But I'd be interested to hear your, your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, great. So in my knowledge and experience, more traditional forms of coaching um, as applied in life coaching, business coaching, executive coaching contexts, is very much ego-driven. It's about defining a goal that is compelling to the ego, what the individual self finds important, or what that particular business or organization wants to achieve. And then those traditional coaches would go about coaching those individuals and groups to achieve those goals, to identify obstacles along the way, to establish resources to overcome those obstacles in pursuit of these particular ego-based goals. And even if a more noble orientation was pursued, it's like, okay, let's let's not be greedy now. We know that's not the way to be in this day and age. Let's think about how what I'm going to do is going to have a positive impact. It's still eliciting the ego and its frame of reference to define and describe what is important to that individual group and, and to work on that ego-based level. And this is this kind of superficial or fake sustainability that we referred to before. It's popular to consider others and the environment these days. So, okay, let's give that some consideration, but it's just an ego strategy. And so I think That type of coaching does have some value in certain contexts to motivate certain behaviors to overcome particular problems and and obstacles towards success. So I I don't want to take anything away from that. And after all, the ego is an intrinsic part of ourselves, of the personality. And we're not here to try and do away with that because if we try to overcome the ego, block it, impulses and urges and so on, it just kicks and screams and and has even greater force and control over us. So that's certainly not something we want to do. However, the transpersonal orientation would in turn enable clients to identify this particular desire is coming from the ego, and it's important to that part of the self for these reasons, and I see that, and that's okay. And in addition to that, From this broader perspective, feeling more interconnected, as we were touching on earlier, I see what else is even more important to me. And with that even more important, deeper, big will inspired purpose, I can now look at how I can fulfill the needs of that ego, but not be inspired by ego to do so, but rather. From this broader sense of being. And this is where it becomes somewhat ineffable for me, in any case. The words become difficult to describe what that broader, more interconnected perspective and state is like. Because um, as, a, as a meditation teacher, Dan, I'm sure you're very familiar with this, and, and hopefully your listeners too. As we deepen into a practice that connects us with that level of self, we know there's a sense of knowing that we who we are and why we are here, and it's difficult to put into words. But then, as the transpersonal coach connects us with that and then starts to bring those transpersonal coaching questions into the session, it enables the clients to pin down what these abstract and ineffable states of consciousness mean to us and how they are applicable. That then informs how we want to approach anything in any particular scenario. And if the client has brought a problem to the coaching, then it gets channeled into that problem context. How do we deal with that? So it's to work with ego. Ego is part of the team, but this larger sense of self is an underpinning part of the team too. It's the part that's never a part of the self. And it's the part that identifies all the other parts, parts that have come into existence through emotional events in our personal history, troubles in childhood, disturbances in life that have developed defense mechanisms, and all the different parts that make up the psyche. We get to see how all of this has come into existence from this broader perspective that I'm referring to. We get to hold space compassionately for all these parts of ourselves, which in turn promotes integration of these parts. And when all these parts are integrated, they get to play for the same team, as opposed to being in conflict with each other, creating confusion and fragmentation in ourselves that leads to destructive behaviors. So this transpersonal coaching approach, which I'm referring to, it's all about integrating parts creating coherence and alignment with a broader purpose that satisfies ego but is not limited to ego. so I hope I've begun to kind of tease apart the difference between conventional ego based coaching and our transpersonal orientation that transcends the ego.
1: Yeah, that was great. thank you I, I really like. The fact that it's a this and approach as well, that, you know, for example, if we, you know, there's lots of close correlates between um, the kinds of practices we engage in, in in transpersonal coaching and, for example, meditation teaching. So there's, you know, open awareness is an expanded state of consciousness that one might access on one's own, you know, sat on the cushion meditating. Um, and a lot of westernized, uh, modern, uh, mindfulness techniques are deconstructive. So, you know, this, this reassurance that you're giving that we're not dismantling the ego, we're just recalibrating the balance as to where the ego fits in, into the whole. Um, and for me, that you know, you're talking about this expanded state of being able to observe all the parts and and hold space compassionately for all the parts. Well, I think that process in itself, when we experience resting in being, A, that's a real felt experience. You can have a very tangible felt experience of what it is just to be without an agenda, without a need to control or defend or all of the activity that the ego is responsible for then then novelty can emerge from that and i think that's what's so interesting so there's a there's a healing and an integrating process going on um and there's a loosening of fixed conditioning and patterns of behavior and thought but there's also this um, what you talk about often, this this liminal space, and that's where emergence arises from creativity, novelty, and I think again coming back to the the crises we see in the world. You know, Nicholas Yanni, who's a, a transpersonal coach who I admire greatly, talks about you know the processes c- coming into being is I'm here, I'm available to you and to the world and I have no idea what's going to emerge so that's the liminality aspect but there is now space for something new to emerge and we so desperately need that don't we in terms of again to bring it back to the the pragmatic you know to you the Einstein you know we can't solve the problems with the same thinking Well, it's not really even about thinking it's about from being, something new can emerge. From thinking, we just continue around the hamster wheel endlessly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yes. We cannot solve today's problems with yesterday's solutions. We need a new range of solutions to deal with the complexity that we're confronting in the world today. And and I really love and aspire to this idea of being here fully, so that. All of me, and all of me is not limited to what's behind my skin. Me, as I think about it, is a process. The I that constitutes my being is both within me and beyond me, and is informed by all of the relationships that I have with every person and everything moment by moment. Therefore, I. Is a process. And so if I'm going to be present with another, or just present at all, I I need to be able to be present with all of that that is unfolding, all of the complexity that makes up who I am, why I think and feel the way I do in this moment. Uh, and that takes connecting to a deep stillness and expansiveness. That comes about through constructive meditation and open awareness practices. And that's why these are at the heart of our transpersonal coaching approach. And, you know, somebody might say, so all I need to do is meditate then. And having spent a lot of time over many years at meditation retreats all around the world, I've met many people at the same retreats over and over again. And in conversation with them, I've discovered that that's where many people feel at home. That's where they're comfortable. They're not comfortable when they leave retreat and try to operate in society. And I have felt that after 20 consecutive days of retreat in India, then getting into the hustle and bustle of Indian street life, oh, it was very fragmenting and, and, and challenging. So what happens to the bliss, the euphoric states of consciousness, this deep sense of knowing and being when we leave the meditation cushion or leave retreat or end our morning yoga practice or whatever the case may be? Where does it all go as we carry on with day-to-day life and responsibilities? How come we're unable to transfer this wisdom and this level of resourcefulness into our everyday life? And these were questions I was asking myself a couple of decades ago already. And that's one of the motivations behind why this transpersonal coaching approach came into existence, because I felt compelled to find ways to transfer these wonderful states of consciousness and that extent of resourcefulness, that quality of being into everyday life. And so our transpersonal coaching model is dedicated to that. It's very pragmatic, but it recognises and values these expanded states of consciousness in the coaching process. Yeah.
1: I've, I've started to refer to the type of meditation that I teach now as a kind of natural meditation. And, and in a way, I'm coaching natural being. So these aren't states we're seeking. This is just relaxing into the foundational state underneath all states. And we're born into that state. It is completely natural to us. You know, we're we're born a being and we're trained to be human, I think. Conditioned into our humanity. And yeah. this process is just about remembering our birthright and the know, this natural state. And then that means that you're not tied to the cushion in terms of addiction to meditation or yoga or transcendent psychedelics or whatever it is that forms a kind of escape from life. It's just a fundamental reorientation of who you experience yourself to be in anything that happens in life, you know, driving a car or having a discussion or looking after your kids or whatever that is. So it's very much a kind of householders experience in that sense, which I really which appeals to me definitely. I'm I'm definitely at the pragmatic pragmatic end of uh spiritual practice and and the point behind it. So yeah. that was what drew me to to study with you and to and to really engage with this transpersonal coaching psychology model because it's it has that aspect to it
0: yes that's what it's all about if if we cannot access that natural state of being when we are disrupted by situations in life and we, we all get challenged at home in all sorts of scenarios that's exactly where and when we need to be able to drop into that state of being to be fully present because if we cannot access that as you say, it's not even a state, it is just who we are. If we can't access who we are in challenging situations, then we'll continue to react according to old patterns that have been conditioned into us by the role models of our life. And the role models that have had the greatest influence on us are those that we looked up to in the early years of our life. Our role models that have influenced our way of being in the world that is not necessarily our most natural way of being. So first of all, we need to have that broader view that enables us to see how has this ego and this personality of mine come into existence? How can I work with those parts of the self so that they're no longer operating by themselves, disconnected from the totality of my being? So. While I completely agree with you we need to be able to access being, I think an important part of that is to also do the work that enables us to identify the parts of the self that are disconnected from the whole and then to, um, as Gabor Maté would say, a compassionate inquiry, that's his method. And what we say is hold space compassionately for the parts that we have identified. They do need to be identified. We then need to Hold space in a manner that promotes integration. Then, entering into that being state naturally, in problem scenarios or in challenges that we had never braced ourselves for, never expected, becomes achievable. Yeah. Because you know, I believe for as long as we're living in this body on this planet, we will be confronted by problems and challenges, and I see them as tests. Tests to check are we able to enter into that natural mode of being because if parts of ourselves continue to be triggered there's still some work to be done and that's exactly where transpersonal coaching comes in
1: yeah that's that's a very helpful clarification and that process work is is ongoing isn't it so there's a retrospective aspect to that in terms of you know old conditioning old stuck patterns but there's also a moment-to-moment processing so that's those tests that life presents on a day-to-day basis are in need of continuous processing so whether that's actively by us or whether we create the conditions in which they can be processed um for me it's you talked a lot about stillness and space Um, then the other part of that is movement and stuckness and, you know, life wants to move, life moves, but our conditioning is quite stuck and this, these parts of self can get stuck somehow, um, either as separate entities or as held emotion in the body, trauma in the body that, that naturally would be released, but we've, has been, kind of solidified into our system and i think that once you begin to trust this stillness and spaciousness this beingness as a safe island of stillness of spaciousness of presence then there's almost a natural permission given to and i agree with you a coach's job is you know is to Help a client to begin to identify within themselves these parts of self which need integration. But that's almost like the the permission, the cultivating. You know, if you think of it as a gardening metaphor, you know, we've created the good soil, and from that we can just allow life to start to to grow and to move.
0: Yes, yes, Uh, and I love that metaphor about cultivating the soil for growth and for transformation to happen. And and that process of cultivation, I think, as you've rightly identified, requires ongoing work. And and, and so some people have asked me, so really, is that what you're proposing? I need to do this ongoing work? Why can't I just live my life and be? So I said, well, give it a try. Just try to be, and, and and you'll find that if you don't do the practice that enables you to be fully who you are as you are without any triggered emotions and old patterns coming into the foreground and becoming the driver in those instances, that it's going to be difficult because as well-meaning as our primary caregivers might have been, And as as fortunate as we may have been having grown up in an affluent country, neighborhood circumstances, so the luckiest of the people on our planet, we could say, they too would have been confronted by challenges on the path. And because of a phenomenon understood in psychology as the negativity bias, these past experiences have a strong gravitational pull and they will, you could say, suck us in, and we will revert to old stuck patterns, to old modes of being that are not being at all, but struggles that are defenses to help us cope. And it's these old parts that came into existence through emotional events in our life, regardless of how we grew up or where we grew up, that will continue to run the show until we do the practice that enables them to become fully integrated, until we are embodied beings and can be present and fully accepting of ourselves, of others, and of the world today. And I've always held that if, if you want to change yourself or another person, or the world, you need to first be in full acceptance of the situation that you're facing. Because if you're not in full acceptance, you're in resistance to it. And while you're in resistance to it, you're in tunnel awareness and you're going to be reacting negatively. And you cannot be the solution to the problem when you're reacting based on those old negative patterns. So it requires presence and acceptance. And then from that presence, acceptance, and broader spectrum, of awareness that becomes available to us we can then in turn choose more consciously how we want to engage in those situations and therefore be constructive and helpful toward real sustainable
1: change. Hmm, wonderful thank you for that yeah I agree completely I agree completely well as we begin to draw to an end here i'd really like to hear a bit more about your current work at with the lf trust and for example this today's first of september when we're recording is the launch date of the transpersonal psychology coaching journal um issue number one so yeah just tell us a bit about what's what you're involved with and what you're excited by
0: Yeah, well, as you identified there, it's a very exciting day for us on the editorial board of the Transpersonal Coaching Psychology Journal, which officially launches today on the 1st of September 2022. And so bringing out this inaugural volume of what will become an annual journal. And Dan, I'd like to make it clear that you are one of the authors, and you're in our editorial board at the same time. So it's really good to have you on board with that. And so we're very grateful for your valuable contribution to the journal. So this particular journal demonstrates the value of transpersonal coaching and, and illustrates through examples how it works in practice. So anybody who's thinking about exploring coaching as a profession or even potential clients that are thinking about which type of coach should I work with should find value in reading this journal. We've make the content really accessible. Although it's peer reviewed, it's not heavy in terms of scholarly writing. It's it's very accessible, case study reports. So we really hope that that will be a compelling and enjoyable read for a broad audience. And the authors like yourself are graduates of the Transpersonal Coaching Psychology certificate program at Aleph Trust. And this program is where we get to share and explore all of the topics that you and I have been touching on today.
1: Great, thank you. And I'll post links to the to the Aleph Trust website and the courses and the journal in the show notes. Thank you. Well, as we end, is there? I'm thinking about someone waking up wherever they are. From a dream, a vision about being called to participate in this kind of service. And I wondered if you had a message for someone who was feeling that call towards coaching, towards this kind of work.
0: Oh, yes. Having not thought about this, but let me let me see what comes up naturally. I feel if the calling is there for somebody. You've got to listen. You know, a mind once stretched can never again return to its former dimensions. I can't remember where I heard that, but it's a known phrase. And the same applies to a calling, I think. If you feel this quality of calling of, I want to make a difference, I I want to do something meaningful while I'm alive in this body in this one short lifetime, please, Look for the ways in which you can implement that calling because otherwise you're sitting and probably the most important thing that you were born for, and you're not bringing it into the world. So pursue that. And by pursuing it, I think you'll tap into a wellspring of people, circumstances, opportunities, resources, and experiences that you would never even dreamed would come into your life. But until you take that action to pursue it, all of this remains dormant and hidden. So take action and live in a state of being surprised and delighted at what every moment is going to bring forth.
1: To find out more about Javon and his work, please visit javondangelli.com. That's J-E-V-O-N-D-A-N-G-E-L-I.com. And to discover more about the transpersonal coaching training he offers and the new journal we discussed, please visit aleftrust.com. That's A-L-E-F-Trust.com. I'm Dan McTiernan. I'm a transpersonal psychology coach and an embodied meditation teacher. And together with my wife Johanna, we run EarthBound. A coaching organization working at the fertile edge between transpersonal psychology, embodiment, and permaculture. To find out more please visit our website at earthbound.fi